Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Hashtag Never Alone podcast. We are now on audio, so we'll be on streaming platforms. Um, I am your host, Joe Ambridge. Um, here are my co-host, psychotherapist and relationship counsellor, Mark Fielding. Hi, Mark. Hi, Joe. Um, and today's topic is, we feel like it's a big issue, um, men and mental health. So um, in regards to men, mental health, I um, feel like there's a big stigma behind the topic um, where men are, have this whole expectation of being macho and manly and mental health is seen as a weakness. So a lot of people don't go and get the help that they need or they're too fr- frightened to get the help that they need in terms of getting support for their mental health. Um, yeah, so anything you wanted to... Say, Mark? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's a generalisation, I know, but I think true. I think it, you know, it, it's still, I think, quite difficult often for men to kind of talk about, you know, their mental health openly. I mean, it, it, it is changing. I mean, there is there is change, and I think more men are kind of coming out, and, you know, and also celebrities coming out, male celebrities talking about mental health. But I just think there's, you know, society is still in some way structured in a way that um, the men are kind of told from an early age to, you know, man up, don't show your feelings, you know, just kind of put your head down and get on with it. And, you know, and I, and I think that's, you know, really destructive for men, really. Yeah. Uh, I know the feeling I've been in that position before. I mean, uh, I had a group of friends back in London where even though they've now got their own mental health issues, it kind of felt, to the point where I can say these things because I felt like I wouldn't be included in the group because it would make me less of a man. Um, but one of the things for me, I feel like I've always been more of one of the, the select few people that are open about their feelings and how they're feeling and their mental health, whereas that's not the same case for some people. Um, if people have watched my film, Anxious Me, my friend Will spoke about how actually mentioned the stigma behind men man up and his work pretty much told him because it's not a visible illness to man up and get on with things which i think is a overused phrase in terms of when it comes to men and mental health man up or get on with it because we have these high expectations of men that they have to be macho as i said before and they pretty much have to get on with it because feelings are pretty much what um, in simple terms, what they would say are for women or children. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I completely agree. You know, and I think the more men, more men come, come out and are able to talk about mental health, you know, because obviously, you know, we all have kind of mental health, don't we? Um, we all have their kind of different struggles, and I think the more men are able to come out, I think, you know, hopefully, it creates a bit of a chain reaction where the more men that come out and talk about their mental health, the more men are able to come out and talk about their mental health, you know, and, and so on, you know, and so forth. And I just wanted maybe to add one other detail. You know, I think also, and this is also generalisation, right, but, you know, I also think it, men in groups, you know, men in friendship groups, you know, often I think male friendship groups, you know, are not the places where men are able to open up about their mental health issues. You know, I mean, this is, right, but often male groups are, 
you know, talking about sport and, you know, making fun of each other. And, you know, and often there's not the space for the depth of those conversations. Um, and I think that yeah. really for men's mental health, I mean, it would be good if that changed. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, um, as I see it, like when you're a child, you're born, the first thing you do is tend to, you cry when you come out of, obviously when you're born, tend to cry. And I feel like obviously crying is what makes you human and having emotions makes you human. But a lot of people don't see it that way. I have quite a few friends that are like that because they've got tough dads and stuff and their dads are really old fashioned. So mental health wasn't really a big thing when they were younger. So they have that expectation of their son to be tough and get on with things and not be emotional. And then see that has an impact on the children where the child thinks, okay, it's wrong to have feelings, really. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the kind of feelings are, you know, ne they're negatively framed. You know, boys don't cry. Perfect example of that, isn't it? You know, big boys don't yeah. cry. You know, I mean, how many children have been told that over the years? You know, and it just creates a situation, I think, where men are just taught that they're you know there's no space for their feelings and to feel things is wrong and so i think it sets a lot of men up you know for just shutting their feelings down you know but i think the danger of that is you know when the feelings are shut down and they're out of sight you know it doesn't mean they're not going on you know and feelings can you know negative feelings can build and build and build you know and lead to people becoming depressed you know anxious you know all sorts of things really. yeah um so we're, we're lucky enough to have a guest with us today, as we usually do in the podcast. Um, so our first guest for the audio podcast is Paul Granger, who's here to talk about his battle in mental health and also kind of just have a discussion with us with his thoughts on men and mental health. Um, hi, Paul. Hey, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having me oh, on. It's, um, it's such an important conversation. <laughs> that um that we're having and and more conversations like this need to happen between groups of guys so yeah thank you. Well, thank you for being our first guest <laughs> um oh well i didn't didn't know I'm privileged. yeah we'll, we'll kick things by hey yeah so just tell us a little bit about your mental health story or your battle with mental health yeah so it um it's it's definitely been a journey but um you know, I often go back to the first memory of um, when I thought I might have been depressed uh, and I would have been at this point about uh, 14 or 15 years old and actually heard a, an ad on the radio describing some of the early warning signs of depression and things to look for. And I, I really clearly remember that moment because I think the next day uh, I was driving to school with mum and I remember turning to her in the car and saying, I think I might be depressed. And mum, you know, being the mum, uh, took it very seriously and, and took me to see a psychologist and, and we dived into this further. And, you know, at the time, I guess it was concluded to be just, you know, the adolescent struggles and the, the emotions going up and down. But, you know, really over those next few years with, um, you know, a number of family deaths and, and challenges in my parents' relationship and me trying to focus on finishing high school and, and figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, then it really, really started to come to the fore. And then, then I was withdrawing from social situations and I was withdrawing from fun things like sport 
and all the things that I would normally really like to enjoy. And all of this led to me actually dropping out of school um, just a few months before I was due to, to graduate. And really it was beginning to push everyone away and, you know, really beginning to remove reasons for me to continue. Um, and there was actually a period of about six months where it was the depression, it was the social anxiety, um, and I didn't actually leave the house for, for months and months. Uh, and I also couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. Um, it kind of got that bad, and I had such low self-esteem as a result. Um, so there was, there was that journey, and then obviously it came to this point of crisis where it's going to go one of two ways. And one of those ways was very, very scary. Um, and I very, very clearly remember that moment where I was just laying in bed and I was beginning to, I guess, make a plan for, um, yeah, obviously ending the struggles that I was going through. And in that moment, I just thought, how has it come to this? And I remember breaking down into this probably two or 3 a.m. And in that moment, I resolved that if I could just get through this, I had very, very clear in my mind that these struggles were going to be able to help other people someday. And that's what kept me going. And since then, that's about 10 and a half years ago, that moment. Um, since then, it's been ups and downs and I've been back in that place again. And I've seen... I don't know, 15, 20 different psychologists. I've been admitted to hospital, um, lived in the UK, <clears throat> traveled to America, done all these crazy things. And yeah, there's challenges, but I guess that theme of this pain has a purpose in my life. And that purpose is to share this story and inspire other people and other men to find courage in their vulnerability and to share how they're feeling. And if we can do that, I think that's not only going to improve our health, but it's going to improve a lot of issues in society. And I think men becoming vulnerable and talking about their feelings actually lifts up women at the same time. And we can all start connecting and creating better relationships. And in a nutshell, that's my story and my passion. And, and I really admire the work you guys are doing as well in, in also telling these stories. And I think together we can uh, create something pretty powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing the story. So, did you, as a, obviously, um, did you ever have like experiences where your friends, you'd be worried about it, like expressing your feelings to people because of this whole stigma behind being a man to expressing your feelings to your friends or your family or anything? My dad is probably a great example. Um, uh, maybe a bad example at first, um, but he was the typical macho man, never showed his feelings, um, you know, very disciplinarian. He was in the army. He was a police officer for 40 years as well. And I guess my perception of what a man was growing up was modeled around that. So for, for better or for worse, I guess that gave me an idea of what it what a man was meant to be like. Um, and I guess that probably 
made me feel like I couldn't express my emotions. And I know that maybe a manifestation of that was how I expressed myself throughout school. And it was, you know, just outbursts of anger and frustration because I just didn't know how to express myself. And that's modeled from the behavior of maybe many dads and fathers around the world is they don't express their feelings. Therefore their kids don't express or their sons don't express their feelings in, in a positive way. And then this just continues. So, you know, there's probably part of the conversation there is how can fathers lead by example and, and create this change from a generational point of view. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like, sorry, <laughs> we interrupt. No, you're right. Definitely feel like it's very common that it comes from the parent or, or the dad. I've got mm. quite a few friends who's, I'm quite lucky with my dad, even though he's never, he's not one of those typical, like, tough dads or anything, but he, he's not like a, he's not one to express his feelings that often. Um, mm. But it did take me to go through one of, like, the worst times of our life with the breakdown and everything for him to really understand mental health and what was going on in my life. Definitely yeah. think he understands a lot more, whereas <laughs> some people kind of don't have that luxury with their dads. A lot of my friends have got dads that are tricked or tough mm. and typical males. They, their dads taught them to be tough, so they've done that to their children. And it's the, I think maybe with this generation, when this generation have kids, maybe it'd be a bit different because mental health seems to be a bit more of an issue with uh, probably people in my generation. I'm near 30, so I'm like mm. 20 to 30. So it's quite common. I definitely find, because a lot of my friends have got mental health issues, and I feel like maybe when it comes to our generation having children, maybe it might be a bit different, which could be a positive thing, obviously. But I feel like you're right in saying that a lot of it stems from like dads can i just say mm. just something paul you said about anger you know i mean just to kind of just to connect with that point you know i mean that's one of the emotions we're allowed to feel right as men you know we're allowed to be angry you know i mean anger i think for men you know covers up a ton of vulnerability you know i think often you mm. know this is also generalization right but i think it is it, it, it's true that you know often men can be really really angry you know, but what's underneath, you know, underneath is vulnerability and perhaps low self-esteem and perhaps worry and anxiety, you know, and, and, and also in a kind of societal, you know, looking at that in, you know, in a, in a wider sense, you know, there's a, there's a lot of males in charge of the world and, you know, and a lot of males not showing feelings when feelings are needed. I mean, I, I think it's important in, on an individual and a small group basis, but also in terms of the world, you know. I mean, men really, you know, the world needs men to get more in touch with their feelings, you know, clearly. Mm. I think there's a, there's a really, um, um, there's a conversation here around gender stereotypes. And I think we talk about the male gender stereotype and maybe, you know, the idea of toxic mas masculinity. Um but I think we really need to deconstruct that because at the same time as men are trying to, you know, fortress what they have been identified as for so long, women are on the other side of the fence rising up and they're becoming more empowered and they're accessing more opportunities in the world. So I don't think men need to hold on to this kind of archaic identity anymore. It's like we can work together as the sexes and 
we can empower each other and we can be vulnerable and we can feel together. And that's kind of the future here. Um, and that's better for everyone. Um, and everyone needs to, to get involved in that conversation, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I definitely yeah, agree. I, I do too. I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. You know, the rigidity of gender stereotypes needs to break down. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely true. There's one thing I did notice. Um, there was a series a while back on YouTube. They had foot, Premier League footballers come and talk about mental health with each other, which I feel something that needs to be done. People that people look up to, like footballers, film people, uh, film stars, um, like anyone that you really see on TV, it's like celebrities. I felt like that might push things in the right direction. Other people that people look up to see, oh, okay, maybe they've got weaknesses and they're showing their vulnerabilities. That means it's okay. Mm. What um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on, obviously we live in this, this culture of immediacy, um, instant gratification. You know, we can jump on apps like Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, all these dating apps, and we can be immediately gratified for... Um, external things um and i've been interested to, to hear your thoughts on you know how that then might be counterproductive in what we're trying to do in breaking down the gender stereotypes because that kind of perpetuates i guess this very raw animalistic tendency in men and women um which maybe isn't helping us to break down those stereotypes um so do you think that's kind of having an influence on young people particularly, and how they create meaningful relationships with, with one another? Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that sort of thing. It's like men, women have that expectation of men on dating apps um, uh, where they all work, a lot of men are after the same thing. So women then have that expectation of men when they talk to the men on dating apps. And they kind of leaves uh kind of loses that opportunity for relationships mm. and i guess the need for closer connection i mean i guess yeah i mean i i guess it, i guess that you know I, I guess paul what you're saying is it's almost kind of transactional in a way and reinforces gender stereotypes it, i mean i guess i look at the dating apps and i guess i'm i mean i I'm looking at feeling and connection and then I'm looking at kind of dating apps like Tinder and perhaps I'm not seeing those things so much. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely, um, you know, as far as how we begin to, to really create sustainable change, I'm just worried that um, children effectively are being drawn towards these kinds of applications and that's informing their perception of relationships and then how does that then permeate them as you know adults um and that's worrying to me as to how we make progress or in the space of depression anxiety connection relationships um and you know ultimately meaningful lives in our careers and our contribution to society um so it's, it's interesting that it kind of and again, it's, we, we talk about mental health, but mental health is good and bad. So um, the conversation around mental health 
um, it kind of invariably leads to conversations around depression, anxiety. Um, I kind of see the future also being conversations around mental health um, don't necessarily lead straight towards the negative, but yeah. kind of encourage thoughts of what does mental health mean to you? It means, you know, exercising every day. It means sleeping well. It means, you know, connecting with your friends. It means, um, you know, all of those little building blocks as well. And that's kind of, I guess, the educational piece that needs to come at a younger age. Um, and through doing that, we'll start to feel better about ourselves and then we'll be able to connect more effectively with one another. Um, and then that will be the knock-on effect. And, you know, then we won't be needing to have that sense of immediate gratification from these applications because we'll feel confident from the inside out instead of trying to feel confident from the outside in. Yeah. Again, yeah. you know, I find myself kind of agreeing with, with that, Paul. I mean, yeah, there's, I guess we only talk about pathology, you know, when, when we're talking about mental health, you know, just as you say, you know, people's minds immediately go to, you know, depression and anxiety. But, you know, mental health, and I think this is what you're saying, you know, should be considered in the same way as physical health. You know, from an early age, we're told to, you know, eat, you know, five a day and do this and do that, you know, in order to, you know, to kind of really kind of focus on being physically healthy. But just as you say, the same things, the same messages should be communicated around mental health, you know, regular exercise, the very best thing you can do for mental health, sleeping well, you know, meditation. I mean, there's all sorts of things, aren't there, that mm. contribute to, you know, to scaffold mental health. And I guess these stories are really not present so much when we're growing up. And they need to be, they should be. Mental health should be considered the same the physical health. Mm. So do you, do you both feel, uh, I was thinking while you guys were talking, um, do you feel maybe they should do stuff in schools about mental health to kind of maybe get it at a younger age that people understand it more as they grow up? Like maybe they could do like a class or something, you know, like they teach about like sex education and everything else, maybe they do stuff about mental health to kind of get kids educated at a younger, younger age, maybe to get that knowledge in there early. So if they do have issues with mental health or they know someone that something gets done about it or also it might prevent things like bullying as well, which I feel uh, personally, um, a lot of my mental health issues stem from bullying um, because saw me as a weak person and being an all boys school, if you cried, people took that as an opportunity to bully someone. Mm. I think, yeah, I think you're really onto something there, Joe. It's um, it, this kind of education and education is the, the point here. Um, but it's, it has to start at a young age. Um, but, you know, five, six, seven, ten-year-olds, they're not going to understand really what depression, anxiety is. So then how do we educate yeah. them on mental health? And that goes back to what we were um, saying earlier is we need to be teaching them about the positive strategies from that age. You know, they'll understand, you know, playing sport and, and hanging out with friends and, um, you know, getting to bed on time. These are things that whilst it might be challenging to get kids to bed on time, I'm not a parent yet, but um, 
maybe I've got that challenge to look forward to one day. But, you know, these are things that can probably make more sense in their minds than abstract concepts like, you know, anxiety and feelings and, and whatnot. So we really need to be having those positive conversations around mental health from that young age. Um, and then I'm sure you guys have seen the, um, the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, uh, that came out recently. And I was actually recording a podcast the other day, kind of discussing the effects of that. And one of the most shocking parts of that is the rise in non-fatal self-harm um, and suicide in a lot of young girls and, and young people in general, um, which I actually had to stop watching at that point because it's just really kind of hard to imagine young people doing that kind of thing um created by these unrealistic expectations they're seeing through their phone screens um so that kind of got me thinking about you know what could prevent um young people from taking these kinds of actions and i think it really comes back down to equipping young people with a real powerful sense of who they are and doing work with them around identifying their values and their interests and what uh value they can offer the world and if we can really get them empowered and kind of rally behind that, we can kind of, we can make them feel more purposeful and we can prevent a lot of the negativity that they're going to be exposed to when they hit, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, um, you know, the period in my life when things started getting difficult. So you're absolutely right, Joe, it has to start at that young age and it has to be done in a very um, intrinsically motivated way. Yeah, I, de I definitely agree about that, like lack of knowledge of stuff. Because when I was in high school, I obviously went through all this stuff with bullying and I was getting to the point where I was didn't want to go to school because I was worried about being bullied. Um, and obviously not until when I was like maybe 18, I started to kind of acknowledge those sort of mental health things. And then I didn't get diagnosed until I was like 23 with anxiety and depression. I just thought I was just overall general sadness and stuff mm -hmm. or general generally upset and now looking back at it kind of makes sense that it might have been depression or it might have been anxiety mm. do you think uh, if if i can well, can ask and tell me if i'm crossing the line here but have you reflected on maybe what was happening in the lives of those who were bullying you do you think maybe this is going back to our conversation around um, you know, that male stereotype and expressing ourselves in the wrong way. Um, have you kind of resolved maybe why yeah. they were feeling the need to bully? Kind of, like, see, like, the guy that bullied me didn't really get expelled from school until, like, year 10. So I think a few, a few other people that bullied me just did it for the sake of fun and being mean. The, the guy that probably bullied me, I think he didn't really have the best home life now looking at it. Like, I think I saw his mum once at her parents' evening and obviously she didn't look like, they didn't look like they were that well off in terms of money and stuff. And um, after, uh, someone told me his story after he left school or something, this guy was outside a pub after a football match and he got his head kicked in because he was being all mouthy about a football game. Um and it kind of makes me think maybe his home life wasn't that great and he took it out of me because he saw me as the easy target. And it was almost, like, it made him look strong. So it 
ensured no one would pick on him or people wouldn't notice these other things about him. Mm. And I think it is, you know, often the truism that, you know, people that bully, you know, do it from a place of vulnerability, low self-esteem, you know, kind of being treated badly at home. You know, it is a, it, it's an acting out, isn't it, of, you know, perhaps more vulnerable feelings, you know, and then kind of empowering of, you know, a fragile ego through, you know, through kind of bullying somebody else, you know. And, and, it, and bullying, you know, it doesn't even finish at school, does it? You know, I mean, this kind of stuff happens with adults in the workplace all the time. You know, it's the same pattern, isn't it? Someone who's perhaps feeling insecure and, you know, is jealous, has had a difficult time, you know, in their, own, in their own life, you know, kind of trying to repair, a, you know, a fragile sense of self-esteem by making somebody else in the workplace feel bad. You know, and the effects, I think, can be just as damaging, really, for people. You know, there are people that have to go to work every day and are bullied. I mean, it's intolerable, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It, even with the adult side, like I had friends. I don't talk to them now because I just didn't want to be treated the way they treated me. Where I was friends with someone I used to work with, and um, I liked this girl when I went went on a night out with her, and then like two days later, they bumped into her in the pub and purposely like started seeing her behind my back just to annoy me and made all this stuff up about me. Said all I said all this stuff apparently. Just to make me look bad, to make him look good in front of him, uh, in front of this girl, um, and he did it with did it with a few of my friends as well. Like, lied and said I said all this stuff when I never, just to make himself look good. And he wasn't like oh, Prince Charming sort of person. He just lied to make himself look good and said all this stuff. And obviously. He obviously was insecure in himself that he had to lie to make himself look good. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and the same effect, and, you know, and and I guess as we've been saying, you know, I guess the education needs to come really early. You know, I guess people, you know, people, kids, as much as they can understand, you know, kind of need to be inducted into, you know, into mental health. And, you know, I mean, even maybe a framing, you know, with slightly older children around, you know, things you can do to influence how happy you are i mean maybe it could be framed like that because i mean that is also true isn't it all the kind of things we do to kind of improve mental health you know do actually increase our level of happiness and this is a bit of an a, a bit an aside but i don't know something you said paul about kind of transmuting your pain into helping others which i thought was you know kind of wonderful yeah and i i that's something that i bring up a lot in um different talks that I do and, and other podcasts and, and events is I think it's like we could, we could have a conversation about philosophy and, and whatnot, which, which I'm really interested in, but um, you know, like the Buddhist um, mantra of life is suffering, um, you know, pain is inevitable. Yeah. And in, in Mark Manson's book, um, Subtle Art, he talks about not trying to live a life that avoids suffering but finding something that's worth suffering for. And I think, you know, all of those dots joined together is, you know, life's going to be really, really shit sometimes. Um, and we're going to experience heartbreak and we're going to experience, you know, real, real pain and that's going to suck. Um, and I really believe that we can harness that pain and, and be able to give that pain a purpose. 
and and if if you're willing if you if it's really important to you i believe that can really really make a positive difference in the world um you know there's a lot of people going through life doing things half-assed they're in jobs they don't want to to do that don't really mean anything to them um my role now is working with Torrance University as a success coach and I work with students around, you know, helping them find and, um, you know, really take ownership over what their purpose is and helping them articulate what their values and strengths are to employers to be able to find something that's meaningful for them. Um, and, you know, being able to recognise some of these pain points in our life and being able to maybe alleviate those pain points in the lives of others, I think is a really, really powerful way of, of living. And that then goes back to what we're teaching young people. It's like, we need to teach young people to be really proud of who they are and be prepared for the shitstorm that's that life is sometimes. Um, but if they're grounded in who they are, you know, that's kind of building their foundation on, you know, a bed of stones as opposed to a, um, you know, a sandy bank. And that's only going to be good for, for everyone. Yeah. And maybe in a sense, you know, kind of part, part of what you're saying, I guess, is preparing them for, you know, the idea that, you know, that life is not always wonderful. You know, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm looking at kind of media and, you know, and kind of certainly, you know, in Western society, you know, I mean, the images of, you know, a happy life and everyone's happy. And I'm thinking of, you know, my mind's going to the Coke adverts, you know, everyone's having a great life. And, and, you know, and of course, life is up and down, isn't it, for everyone? I mean, that is the reality. So maybe just helping, you know, as you say, helping young people to connect with, you know, their core values, so they feel good about themselves, but also maybe preparing them for the fact that life can be hard, you know, for everyone. It's a more balanced approach, possibly. Mm. More, re- I mean, it's more reality tested, certainly. Well, it's it's um, one of the top employability skills at the moment is resilience, and that comes up in so many um, meetings and interviews, and that's what you know business owners and business leaders are looking for in candidates, because it's not just in our individual lives; it's in the business world. It's so dynamic and so changeable, and for us to have any sense of meaningful and sustainable, um, uh, to have a meaningful and sustainable career, we need to be resilient and we need to be able to adjust with what's going on in that world too. Um, But how do we cultivate that sense of resilience in young people? The only way that I can see doing that is, you know, giving people a a reason to get back up again. and you've got to know who you are. Otherwise, what's the point in, in getting back up? You may as well stay down if if everyone's just going to keep knocking you down. But if you know who you are and you know why you're standing back up and you know the value that you have to give to the world, um, it's not really going to matter what knocks you down. You're, you're going to get back up. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Just, we're going to wrap up there so we don't go over an hour. Um, just want to say thank you to uh, Paul for joining us today. Just want to say if you had anything, like any tips or anything you want to add for people out there that want to talk about um, uh, frightened to speak up about their mental health in terms of men. 
Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot um, and I've, one of my natural abilities is, you know, futuristic tendencies. So I love talking about possibilities in the future, but I think something that everyone can do right now is um, as adults or as, as teenagers, or, you know, no matter what your age really is to start that education process, you know, start to recognize the signs of, you know, depression in other people and, and how we can support them. Um, you know, I could, we could go on for another hour talking through all of those tips, but um, obviously there is a great resource available at the moment, and that's the um, the free online course uh, run by Torrance University in partnership with Beyond Blue. Um, and that's a, uh, it's a four-week course, and people can be educated on um, depression from the point of view of lived experience. So, you know, to save... Um, chatting about it for another hour, I would encourage everyone to go and check out that link um, yeah. and, um, we'll, and engaging with that. We'll share that on our on our Facebook and stuff and our socials yeah. um, and our website. So hopefully <laughs> people go and join and sign up. Definitely something that would interest me in doing that to know what I know about mental health from experience and doing the other episodes of the podcast that we've done mm. on video. Um so, like anyone else is like listening to this, if you haven't watched them already, go and watch some of the other episodes that are on our YouTube channel. Um, yeah, yeah. Mark, have you got anything you'd like to add in terms of like tips or any suggestions you have for people? Um, well, I mean, just I guess, I mean, I guess positive psychology. If I'm going to kind of maybe look for one thing, you know, I mean, without kind of going into that in too much depth, but I think there are quite a lot of tips that come from positive psychology in terms of, you know, well-being and increasing your baseline of happiness and, and, and resilience. So, you know, I'd maybe suggest people kind of check out positive psychology. I mean, there's, there's, there's many, many, you know, parts of it, but um, it's really accessible online. And I think it can provide some really, really good kind of tips for, you know, improving, you know, one's level of happiness. Thank you. Um, so our next episode should be, we're going to revisit the topic of anxiety. Um, we're going to arrange the guests soon and hopefully have that, another episode to you soon. Mark has another episode of his vlog that he works on called Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged coming out, which is based on the topic bullying. Um, so when that is out, you'll get to hear more of my story in terms of my experience with dealing with being bullied and um hopefully that should be out soon um i just want to say thank you to mark for joining us again and thank you to paul for listening like hearing his story was really interesting and all your uh thoughts i'm sure everyone would find them really helpful um and so thank you to everyone for listening okay. thank you thanks guys appreciate it thank Bye, you guys. take care